Hello, I'm Maria Titizian. And I'm Rubina Margosian, and welcome to the Week in Review for the week of February 2. In the news, Deputy Minister of Economy and six others arrested on corruption charges. Armenia's national airline carrier Fly Arna announces that it is suspending flights. And are constitutional changes on the horizon? These stories and more in our weekly roundup of the news. And we start this week's roundup uh, with corruption cases and arrests of state officials. Deputy Economy Minister Ani Ispirian and six other officials were detained on corruption charges this week, according to Armenia's investigative committee. Ministry of Economy officials illegally disqualified a private company from a procurement tender to ensure it was won by another bidder. The letter offered 392 million drums. This is about 1 million US dollars for the service, which we don't know what exactly the service was, or uh, nearly three times more than its disqualified rival. Yeah, and I think this not knowing the details is a common theme this week in in, in our podcast, and we'll get to we'll get to that in a minute. Again, in another case, uh, a ministry official abused their position to help a number of individuals receive um, 238 million dirhams in state agribusiness funding in violation of rules set by the ministry. Among those arrested are Ashot Hovanisian, the founder of the software development company Synergy International Systems, and Alen Simonian's sister-in-law, Ani Gevorkian. And as uh, you know, Alen Simonian is uh, the Speaker of Parliament. Well, having said all this, mm-hmm. in Transparency International's 2023 Corruption Perception Index, Armenia moved up by only one point this year. The country's score is 47 points out of 100. Zero would be totally corrupt, 100 will be totally clean. I'm assuming there's no countries that rate zero or hundreds. Um, Transparency said that in the uh, two years following the 2018 revolution, Armenia experienced significant democratic and anti-corruption reforms. However, progress against corruption has stalled, primarily due to the limited implementation of these new measures. Despite facing challenging security threats like many countries in the region, Armenia has the potential to navigate such difficulties and turn strong policies into better control of corruption, uh, the report said. Also this week, Armenia's national airline, Fly Arna, announced that it is suspending its flights due to what it called operational revisions. Fly Arna was created in 2021 by Air Arabia and Armenia's National Interest Fund, uh, that's known as ANIF. Recently, changes have been taking place in ANIF, and Ani Ispirian, the deputy minister who was just arrested, had in fact been appointed the director of that organization. I was a short-lived position and a <laughs> short-lived airline, by the way. Yeah. Well, ANIF was established in 2019 with a mandate to consolidate and efficiently manage the ownership of Armenian state-owned enterprises to promote export growth and investments in Armenia by providing co-financing in large-scale projects at their initial stage of development. And Armenia's Prosecutor General's Office has submitted a request to the Anti-Corruption Court to confiscate around uh, $2.5 million from former Culture Minister Hasmik Borosyan and people affiliated with her. Borosyan is facing criminal charges for the illegal appropriation of the AUKS building, as it's known in uh, Armenia. This is a, a stunning old building in downtown Yerevan. Which the uh, government took back. Mm-hmm. Also this week, Infocom's investigative reporters revealed a scheme through which the ruling civil contract party directed funds to its election campaign for the 2023 Yerevan municipal elections. 
looking at donations ranging from 1 million AMD to 2.5 million, this is the maximum limit that an individual can donate during an election to a campaign. Uh, Infocom identified over 80% of the people who allegedly made the donations and discovered that many of them had no idea that they had made a donation. Yeah, others were initially taken by surprise when they were approached by the reporters. But, uh, quote, uh, after making a call, they confirmed that they had, in fact, donated. All the donations were made through Arm Econom Bank, which belongs to civil contract uh, member of parliament, businessman Khachadur Sukhyasyan. Civil contract has yet to make an official statement about the publication. It raised nearly uh, 1.3 million U.S. dollars in donations from close to 1,000 people uh, for the, uh, the elections that we just held, the municipal and initially, civil contract refused to release information about the donations. Uh, the party only complied after the Freedom of Information Center intervened and launched legal action against the party. The donation records also show a list of Armenia's leading entrepreneurs and officials among those making considerable donations. They range from executive managers at the country's largest restaurant group and the director of the country's biggest bottled water producer to senior employees at Yerevan City Hall and heads of eight of the city's 12 districts. And uh, moving from corruption to uh, our usual uh, first subject, yeah. uh, what's happening between Armenia and Azerbaijan, politics and security. Uh, the security mm-hmm. and uh, potential referendum probably, uh, well, jumping ahead, uh, jumping really ahead. Well, this week, the border demarcation and delimitation committees of Armenia and Azerbaijan held their sixth meeting on the Ijevan Ghazakh section of the Armenia-Azerbaijan state border. Neither side has made an official statement about the meeting. One of the main hurdles between the sides are the maps to be used in the demarcation and delimitation process. The Armenian side wants to use 1975 Soviet era maps, while Azerbaijan John is inclined to rely on pre-Soviet maps of that date back to the first Azerbaijani Republic. Parts of modern-day Armenia are shown as part of Azerbaijan in those maps. And, and this has been the stumbling block all along between the two sides. Uh, which maps are they going to use? Which one has a legal basis? Which doesn't? And also Russia says, I have the only maps that you can use. And meanwhile, Armenia and Azerbaijan are working on the seventh draft of the peace treaty that has been making the rounds between the two capitals since March of 2022. For the moment, the ball is in Azerbaijan's court. Foreign Minister Jehum Bayramov said that Baku will respond to Armenia's last version soon and also said that in 2024, face-to-face meetings between Armenia and Azerbaijan might resume. Baku has been rejecting the Western mediation platform and pushing for bilateral talks without any third-party mediation. At the same time, Moscow has repeatedly said that Azerbaijan is willing to sign the peace treaty in Russia. Armenia has been refusing to participate in meetings arranged by Moscow, although at the end of December, Pashinyan participated in the informal gathering of CIS leaders in St. Petersburg, where he did briefly meet with Aliyev. In the context of the peace negotiations, Armenia's uh, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan recently proposed that Armenia and Azerbaijan sign a non-aggression pact. Earlier, he had also proposed that the two countries sign an arms control agreement. And of course, side note, Zakharova said, no, 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 you don't need it. (laughs) Wait, there's Zakharova coming up. (laughs) Well, in response, Azerbaijan's foreign ministry spokesperson, Aykhan Hajizada, said that Armenia should eliminate 
territorial claims against Azerbaijan within its constitution instead of making proposals with no practical importance. He also said that Baku has presented this demand since the beginning of the negotiations. And of course, this week, Aliyev also emphasized the necessity for Armenia to amend its constitution, suggesting that the stable border situation signifies a de facto peace. To formalize this peace, Aliyev proposed the signing of a peace treaty between Armenia and Azerbaijan, stating that constitutional changes in Armenia are a prerequisite. He welcomed discussions about constitutional reforms in Armenia. And a side note, also last week, um, Armenia's foreign minister, Arat Mirzoyan, also said that, yes, there are problems in Armenia's constitution, but also in Azerbaijan's constitution. Right, but they choose not to speak about, about their that. own. And Rubina, I didn't um, get a chance yet, but you did listen to uh, Prime Minister Nikol Pashinyan's interview to Armenia's public radio, where he spoke extensively about the need for a new constitution. He wasn't talking about making amendments or changes to the existing constitutions, and he was referencing referendums that we've had in the past. Well, right? he was basically saying because most of them were rigged and the people did not necessarily vote on their own accord and completely understanding what was happening, and these were constitutions that were tailored to the then uh, ruling, party. ruling party's needs and uh, policies. Therefore, this he was basically stating that this is basically the first handshake between uh, the nation, the citizens, and the, the government, saying, mm -hmm. we agree on this, this is the path we're going to walk on, and this is how we're going to move forward. Uh, so now we don't know anything about what proposed changes will be in this constitution. He never mentioned anything, but he had this, like, you know, our allegorically inclined <laughs> prime minister Uh, did did bring up this you know scene where he said like just assume you're walking with a friend and then you realize that on both sides of this road there's bulls and you're both wearing red and these red dresses you're wearing are very sentimental for you but so you need to stop and have a conversation about how you're moving forward do you agree to both take off your red shirts do you go back what do you do so you need to have this conversation and basically he also because he was saying that we might do this referendum and people might say no then we have to also decide what we're doing next and the other example was that for example uh, him as a person going back to his family saying listen and we're this red shirt what do you, grandma made it for mm. me it's very sentimental it's kind of like my protection but what do you think if moving forward should i take it off and he's saying it's very possible the family might say uh, you know what no keep wearing it go and if something happens to you you'll get a nice cross stone yeah. you know <laughs> well okay but and I this was mm. uh, the kind of funny part i mean um of the constitution, but he always was also pointing out to kind of peace and saying, of course, Azerbaijan will interpret this as something that they imposed of on Armenia as part of the peace pact that post Artsakh, right, the current reality. And he's saying we should decide that we also need to do this, and we should not make uh, this which is something that is an internal conversation, become prey to external interpretations and uh, mm -hmm. narratives in a way. And he was saying that, you know, there are certain uh, phrases, there are certain... Uh, 
understanding concepts like the restoration of Armenia's uh, of historical justice saying does not only make Azerbaijan and Turkey nervous but also other countries like Georgia Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and saying why would Georgia allow Armenia to import arms to its territory where they could potentially one day if Armenia's army is strong enough be also a territorial dispute between Mm -hmm. Armenia and Georgia. Mm -hmm. I think the important thing here also is the reference to the 1990 Declaration of Independence. Right. Yes. Uh, it was definitely a different time and it made reference to the 1989 Unification Act adopted by, you know, the parliaments or legislative bodies of Soviet Armenia and NKAO, Nagorno-Karabakh Autonomous Oblast. And it called for the international recognition and, like you said, of, you know, historic Armenia. Um, and the declaration is part of the preamble of the current constitution. So this is the stumbling block here. And this is what I think he's saying has to be changed. Yeah. Well, that's the assumption. And yes, that he's saying he didn't mention these words in particular, but yes, they're, saying... They're, yeah, they're dancing around Dancing it. around it, uh-huh. saying uh, Armenia should eliminate anything from its constitution. That is not necessarily something that we intend to do in the future, so that not to sound threatening uh, to a- any other country, which will allow Armenia to strengthen its army uh, and build re- resilience and also kind of during his just remembering now that as I'm speaking uh, he technically declared economy a priority uh, sector for Armenia and saying it all depends on Armenia's economy but coming back to strengthening the mm, army saying sure. if we don't have a, st- a strong e- economy we don't have resilience we don't have a strong army uh, institutions don't work properly so um, well, yeah and also some the of the corruption points, cases shouldn't be <laughs> I also said that they're not stepping back uh, in their fight against corruption well, you know obviously opposition members are citing this and saying that uh, Pashinyan is continually um, giving concessions to Baku and this is weakening its position so the coming weeks and months uh, I think we need to be prepared for possible referendums um, on the constitution, but it it remains to be seen. We don't have any information on that at the moment. And speaking of uh, concessions in Baku, Baku continues to lash out against those criticizing its actions. This week, the target was Czechia's uh, president of their parliament, who had said in Yerevan that she will use all available levers to make Azerbaijan resume peace talks with Armenia. And of course, uh, the response from Baku was quite quick. Uh, about uh, those, uh, what they called Armenian fake narratives. And Baku also cancelled the visit of the Dutch foreign minister to Azerbaijan for her remarks in the Dutch parliament expressing concern about Azerbaijan's latest statements regarding Armenia and calling for sanctions against Baku. Hajizadeh, the spokesperson of the Azerbaijani foreign ministry, called uh, her statements unacceptable, accused her of showing a biased approach to post-conflict realities in the region, and also said such statement, as well as threatening ideas about imposing sanctions sanctions against Azerbaijan are a blow to bilateral relations and relations between Azerbaijan and the European Union. Baku also again criticized France. It seems to be their favorite hobby these days for its biased approach towards uh, Azerbaijan. Azeri Foreign Minister Bayramov said that currently Azerbaijan-France relations are at an all-time low, blaming Paris as being the main initiator of the current prejudice 
uh, building against Azerbaijan. He went on to say that Baku will not leave uh, such actions unanswered. Uh, and as a reminder, back in December, um, Baku expelled French diplomats from uh, Azerbaijan. And back to the subject of corruption. <laughs> well, German police are investigating potential bribery of their uh, parliament members by Azerbaijan for lobbying in favor of Baku. They raided property belonging to Christian Democratic Party parliament member Karin Strenz and former uh, parliament member Edward Linter. Strenz is uh, suspected of receiving at least over $24,000 in exchange for lobbying for the Azerbaijani government. The funds were allegedly sent to a lobbying firm owned by Linter, who is alleged to have received a total of around $4.4 million from the Azerbaijani government through bank accounts in the Baltics owned by British shell companies from 2008 until 2014. The companies have been attributed to the Azerbaijani laundromat scandal. That was a long sentence, right? Bank accounts in the Baltics owned by British shell companies. Well, luckily, uh, I read Armenian all the time and long sen sentences <laughs> don't scare me. I have the breath for it. <laughs> And this week, Javier Colomina, NATO Secretary General, Special Representative for the South Caucasus and Central Asia, expressed satisfaction with Armenia's deepening ties with NATO. Colomina commended Armenia's decision in foreign and defense policy, applauding the country's proactive approach in aligning with NATO. Uh, he said, we encourage our partners to get closer to us, and that is what Armenia is doing. Kolomina said that NATO supports any track that will lead to peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan. He meant EU or US bilateral tracks specifically. He added that principles already agreed upon. This respect of sovereignty and territorial integrity should not change at this stage. And he also spoke about his scheduled visit to Baku, which was postponed due to presidential elections in Azerbaijan. And he said that had he gone, he would have de delivered a very clear message that NATO expects the sides to reconvene the peace talks as soon as possible. And this is a lovely segue for you, Rub. Zaharva swiftly cautioned that past experiences revealed close ties with NATO resulted in conflicts, loss of sovereignty, and submission to foreign planning for some countries. She emphasized the importance of Armenia to assess its regional position and consider the countries in its uh, neighborhood. She actually kind of was more forward with this, this idea. She's like, we suggest Armenia open the map and look <laughs> at where they are. Well, we haven't done much, though. We've changed, uh, we're planning to change the uh, army uniform to more NATO-like colors. <laughs> And we had one training recently. Well, last weekend, uh, speaking of NATO, Nigol Pashinyan and his Georgian counterpart, Irakli Gharibashvili, signed a strategic partnership um, between the countries. They called it a historic partnership, but we could not find Any details about this partnership, other than some demarcation issues uh, between Armenia and Georgia as well. However, on January 29, Ghari Bashvili resigned and will be replaced by the president of the ruling Georgian Dream Party, Irakli Kobachitste. I hope I pronounced that correctly. It remains to be seen how this will impact, or if it will at all, Armenian-Georgian bilateral relations. Armenia's relations with Georgia, a little bit of a recap now sure. about Armenia's relations with Georgia. They have been far from perfect since independence, largely due to Georgia's close ties with Azerbaijan and Turkey and Armenia's formerly already warm times, uh, ties with Russia. Nevertheless, the two countries have managed to keep ties cordial. Uh, 
Much of Army is trade with the outside world, including with chief partners Russia and the EU, is conducted through Georgia. The Armenian government welcomed the European Commission's decision to grant candidate status to Georgia back in November of 2023. Foreign Minister Arat Mirzoyan said this decision is welcomed not only by the government of Armenia, but also the people who also have European aspirations. Also in November of 2023, Armenian and Georgian officials publicly acknowledged that Georgia had allowed the passage of French armored vehicles to Armenia via its Poti port. Georgia's foreign minister then said that uh, his country gives both Armenia and Azerbaijan the opportunity to use Georgia's transit function under equal conditions. He emphasized that this is on a level playing field. Any country has the right to have a defense force, he said, and when it comes to conventional Conventional equipment or weapons permitted by international agreements, any country has the right to acquire it. Georgia's position is to give both countries the opportunity to use the transit function that our country has under equal conditions. Georgia has long offered a mediating role in the conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan, including during and after the 2020 war. In June 2021, 15 Armenian prisoners of war were released by Azerbaijan in exchange for information about minefields in a deal brokered by Georgia and the U.S. In July 2022, the foreign ministers of Armenia and Azerbaijan met in Tbilisi. In the scope of peace talks, prime ministers of Armenia, Azerbaijan and Georgia had an hours-long meeting at a historic chateau outside Tbilisi in October of 2023. And this week, Pashinyan also received Iranian Supreme Leader Khamenei's advisor. And since not much is known uh, from the meeting, because it's because the usually pro- theme. protocol, the theme is like they discuss regional affairs and Armenia-Iran relations, uh, we, we've decided to do another small recap of mm-hmm. Armenian-Iranian relations. Also, this is we're concentrating on the last couple of, of years. Course, it's of not course. historical recap. So if you want, we can go back to the fourth century and start. That should be an article. I <laughs> should. Well, since the end of the 2020 war in Nagorno-Karabakh and um, persistent Azerbaijani demands for an extraterritorial corridor to Armenia south parallel to the Iranian border, Iranian officials have repeatedly voiced support for Armenia's territorial integrity and said that Iran opposes any changes to its borders. At the same time, Iran has been critical of Armenia's increasingly close ties with the West and the deployment of the European Union's observation mission the UMA in Armenia. In October of 2023, the Iranian president said that a Zangezur corridor would be a NATO foothold and a national security threat for the countries and is thus resolutely opposed by Iran. Amid Azerbaijani territorial claims and a series of incursions into Armenia's southern Sunik region, Iran opened a consulate in Gapan, this is the regional center of Sunik, in October of 2022. It was widely seen as a signal for Azerbaijan. Deputy Foreign Minister Vahang Gostanyan later stated that in September 2022, Iranian actions and statements helped to stop a further deterioration of the situation amid the Azerbaijani invasion of sovereign Armenia earlier, a year earlier, in September uh, 21, the Iranian military conducted drills and amid tensions with Azerbaijan caused partly by the arrest, uh, you remember, Rubina, of Iranian truck drivers in a disputed border area in Armenia. And 
And the trade between the two countries has grown significantly in recent years from around $260 million in 2017 to $630 million in 2023. As trade continues to expand, officials from both nations have recently announced that building a second bridge over the Arax River is on the table. Earlier in November of 2022, the sites had agreed to double the supply of Iranian gas to Armenia. Iran has also allowed the passage of Indian armament procured by Armenia through its territory, although there were reports in April last year that Russia had pressured Iran not to allow their passage. Armenia, Iran and India have sought in recent years to establish a transnational transport corridor to connect India with Armenia and thereafter Georgia and Europe via Iranian ports. And on this note, in its annual rating of Armenia, Fitch said that Armenia's economy is highly dependent on Russia for trade and energy and does not expect meaningful diversification away from Russia in the near future. It also said that Armenia continues to implement Western sanctions targeted at Russian entities within its banking sector. Nevertheless, goods exports to Russia increased by nearly 300 percent since 2021, and Russia accounted for 51 percent of exports and 30 percent of imports in 2023. Yeah, and we have an article um, that's, you know, not talks, very recent, but not very sure. Old it's called Armenia's economic dependence on Russia. How deep does it go? So if you want to check it out, it's very interesting. And Canada lifted its arms embargo on Turkey. The embargo was imposed when it was revealed that Turkish drones made with Canadian made parts were used during the 2020 Artsakh war by Azerbaijan. Canada's global affairs spokesperson uh, said Canada believes there should be no restrictions on defense trade between allies and that if a country breaks Ottawa's export rules, Global Affairs Canada can decide to stop issuing permits at any time. And it's really, really, we're really jumping ahead with this news. But in January of 2025, uh, um, prescriptions will be issued online in Armenia. This was announced by the health ministry this week. The objective is to ensure that uh, consumers receive high quality medicine as well as to mitigate self-medicating and overdoses. And also to mitigate bad handwriting. Uh, Herine, our programs manager here at EVN Report, had a prescription from her doctor. She had to go to three different pharmacies because none of the pharmacists could read his handwriting. So I think <laughs> doctors do it on purpose <laughs> because initially they say doctors had, have bad handwriting because they used to take uh, when they were quickly. student notes really quickly. I don't think this generation has uh, <laughs> handwritten problem. notes. <laughs> Maybe so. that's why they can't write. <laughs> And uh, again, uh, we've started this new tradition of sort of recapping the articles that we've published. Because uh, they tie in so nicely with the Week in Review, yeah, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Um, yeah, the first one, um, you know, Azerbaijan snap election, and it's called Aliyev's New Era. It's by Datevik Hayrabedyan. And she talks about, you know, the, the potential reasons and um, for these snap elections, presidential elections that are going to take place on February 7. Oh, in a few days, actually. Um, I mean, but we know what the results are going to be, so... Well, I, I like this part from her article. Um, and well, she uh, basically she's pointing out that Aliyev's proclamation of a new era that is to be heralded by this uh, elections. Um, well, basically, it's almost comical how uh, Aliyev does not face any competition mm -hmm. because two major opposition parties opted to abstain from the upcoming snap presidential elections. But the six remaining candidates, I'm quoting her, saying it appears that the competition for them focuses on who can best advance Aliyev's agenda so yeah it was a great just, article yeah 
And then, um, you know, the enclaves, which we've talked about in the past, have become um, a, um, a, a talking point as part of these peace negotiations. So our staff writer, Hovanes Nazaretian, uh, put together a comprehensive piece called Enclaves Enter Armenia-Azerbaijan Peace Talks and why are they so strategic? And it's and it's absolutely crazy the way things were set up in the Soviet era, like little pockets of territory belonging to different republics are exclaves or enclaves well, he just like really looks into the history of how each one was created or came to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was very interesting because sometimes you find out that you don't know enough about something oh, yeah, that is sure. being widely discussed. Mm-hmm. Well, and moving on, uh, we also had the last ins- installment of Samson Avetian's three-part series on Armenia's economy. Again, ties up nicely with our mm-hmm. uh, week in review this, uh, this week. Uh, do personal financial habits impact economic growth? The case of Armenia. This one is pretty self-explanatory, the title, so let's not discuss <laughs> what was there. Well, and, and we had uh, two pieces on the economy this week. Um, first time contributing for us uh, from the United States is Ara Khanjian. He's an economist at Ventura College. Um, he has done extensive research uh, um, and the article that he that we publish is called The Pitfalls of Deregulation and Competition in Armenia's Electricity Market. And uh, it's, uh, again, very interesting and something that was close to my heart because I kind of fell for this back in Canada when alternative uh, electricity providers tried to convince me to not, um, you know, to cancel my... To switch. To switch over. And uh, he was talking about some of the predatory practices that could come of it and uh, sort of the the, the dangers. Well, of, he's of saying, saying uh, in a perfectly functioning a competitive market, efficiency can be I- improved. Uh, the problem is that the real world markets don't perform in ideal conditions. Yeah, he focuses on the experience of the United States, uh, you know, discussing the introduction of competition. Uh, And then he talks about re-regulation, how certain states deregulated electricity. And then when they saw the problems, they re-regulated it. And a random piece of information. He is our 350th uh, contributor. Well, um, we should let him know for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you for listening. Uh, This is the kind of week we had. Have a safe and peaceful weekend, and we'll be back again next week. Mm